Happy August, everyone! Oh, fuck, it's August. It's alright, it's almost fall. It's almost I don't, our prime. Yeah, exactly, I don't want that. You're you don't prime, want it to be not fall? mine. I like summer. You live in California, it's always summer. I know, but it wasn't before. I can still prefer summer. I guess. Anyway. But yeah. It's our first episode of the month, which means... Yes! Patreon shoutouts! Hello! Hello. Go ahead and do the shoutouts, why don't you? Alright, so we have Josh, Camilla, and Luis. Yay! This, this month, yes, hello and thank you and welcome. We've got some new faces, we've got some old faces. We've we have got some... so many friends. Yeah, I was gonna say, we've got some US faces, we've got some international faces. Yes! Um, Shout out to Luis, international man of mystery. Yes, uh, suggested an episode... Uh, some months ago. Yes, he suggested a few. Yes. But we've gotten to some of them. <laughs> because uh, our have, list is long. Yes, we have a huge schedule of episodes coming out. So, um, besides yeah, you think our... you think you know, you don't know. Well, besides our Patreon uh, poll episodes, which we do once a month, which you yes. can get in on if you would like to join the Patreon, and you would also get a shout out as well. So, join the Patreon. You can find the link on all of our different social media in our link tree. And you can get shoutouts, you can get a postcard, you can get uh, um, advanced access to episodes. Live chat. We had a lovely live chat with Camilla last month. We did. Very fun. Super Um, dope. Yeah, so... Just surprises. So many surprises. surprises. We're Ow. full of them. Did you hear me accidentally just punch my desk? Yep. <laughs> cool. Uh, what are That's we talking about this week? Um, today on Crime Culture, where everything is made up and the pronunciations don't matter. That's my preface. We're going to yep. be talking about <laughs> the Madeline McCann disappearance. And we're pretty and sure that's the correct pronunciation of that, because this is a big story. No, that's the only <laughs> pronunciation that okay, I'm sure of. <laughs> um, a lot of it takes place in Portugal, so mm-hmm. I did my best. But, and speaking of Luis, Luis has often offered to help us. We've had a few people, actually, that are like, if you want help with pronunciations, I'm like, this is this is Portuguese. No one can help me here. <laughs> so, um, and and also England. There's some, some British names, or... Not that names, are but like cities that I think I'm gonna get, but Sorry, we don't always we'll want to do um, American crimes. We want to do yeah. more international, but that means butchering pronunciation, which we yeah. try not to. Because it's not all about us, but we are at the end of the day still American, so we can be pretty done with that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, jumping right into it. So Madeline Beth McCann was born on May 12th, 2003. Like me, she was a maybe. And she was born in the village of Rothley in Leicester, England, to parents Kate and Jerry McCann, who were both doctors. And she's the older sister of brother Sean and sister Amelie, who are twins. Mm -hmm. So as a child, Madeline was said to be a happy little girl. She had a really outgoing, funny personality, great sense of humor. Uh, She charmed both children and adults. And like most kids her age, she or girls her age, I guess I should. Well, no, both. Stereotypically, 
she loved dolls, dresses, anything pink, anything sparkly, anything girly. Mm -hmm. But she also, on the same side of that, loved to go on adventures and she would do some sports. She liked to run. She liked to go swimming. So she was a well-rounded little girl as well. Mm -hmm. And she had blonde hair and I believe this is called heterochromia. I kind of... two eyes, different colors? Where the two eyes are different colors, but... Like, then one of the eyes, so her left eye was blue and green, while her Mm -hmm. right eye was green with a brown spot on the iris. So I don't think that's quite heterochromia, but it's... Yeah, heterochromia is like the eyes are two different colors, but she has one eye that's two different colors. That's weird. Yes. Interesting. Um, And she also had a small brown spot mole thing on her left leg. Mm -hmm. So on April 28th, 2007, when Madeline was three years old... She and her family went on vacation at the Ocean Club in Praia de Luz, a village that's located in the region, in the region, the region, um, (laughs) the region of Algarve in Portugal. And it's very small. It has a population of a thousand people. It's known as Little Britain because there's a high volume of British homeowners and vacationers who are there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So it's a fancy spot. It's super fancy. Yeah. Um, like all of these people that like, oh, so-and-so was a witness and they were on vacation. All of them are like lawyers and doctors and business people and like all of that, like all very like yeah, it's stereotypically very, wealthy occupations. It, yeah, it's a very bougie vacation spot. Yes. And the McCanns were no exception being two doctors and they yeah. were vacationing with a group of seven adult family friends and... Their five children, all like collectively, so all now, in eight kids, nine yeah, that's, adults. That's the real mystery to this: is how did they get seven adults together at one place at one time? <laughs> how did they all coordinate their schedules to do this? <laughs> well, because they're all rich as shit. Yeah, that's true. Um, the friends included doctors Fiona and David Payne. I said mm-hmm. doctors, as in two. Um, their two children, Fiona's mom. Diane Webster, Jane Tanner, and her partner, Dr. Russell O'Brien, and their two children, and Dr. Matthew Oldfield, his wife, Rachel, and their daughter. Lots of doctors. Lots of doctors. And, like, some of the doctors introduced each other to, like, other doctors. So it's, like, it's a whole community of doctors. Like, if somebody got shot, things would have been fine. Um, But that is not what happens. Spoiler alert. But that is not what happens. So, at... Hi, Felix. I just heard Um, that, and it was adorable. (laughs) I hope it comes through in the episode. Um, So at 7.30 a.m. on May 3rd, 2007, on the sixth day of their vacation, Madeline, Felix, please. um, (laughs) Madeline asked her parents during breakfast why they had not been in the apartment when she woke up and cried the night before. So the McCanns made a mental note to check out their kids more often when they went out for their evening meal. Mm-hmm. And at 10 a.m., Madeline and her siblings were taken to the Ocean Club's Kids Club while their parents went out for a walk. And then, Felix. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it comes through, but, like, also. If it doesn't come through, he's meowing a couple times. <laughs> like Caitlin's not just yelling at the cat for no reason. <laughs> he's singing the song of his people, but, like, now is not the time to sing. Um, Let him out he wants to stay in it's that he doesn't want he wants the attention to be on him well pet him god damn he's it he's too he, but he's across the room he expects me to come to him this is a cat we're talking about that's true he's not very helpful no 
Sorry. But um, anyway, go on. So yeah, they have so, they have ba- like babysitting services at yes. this at this resort, pretty much. Yes, yes. Um, so then at twelve thirty p.m., Kate and Jerry picked up their kids and headed back to their two bedroom apartment, Unit Five A, which was on the ground floor of Block Five of the Waterside Village Gardens. And they had lunch before going to the Ocean Club's pool. And at two twenty nine p.m., the last photograph of Madeline was taken at the pool. The camera clock says it was 1.29 p.m., but the family said that it was an hour behind. Mm-hmm. So at 3.30 p.m., the McCanns returned the kids to the kids' club. And while they were there, Madeline and her siblings ate dinner at 5.30 p.m. And the McCanns, while, they, while the kids were there, they went to a tennis lesson. Mm. So at 6 p.m., Kate picks up the kids, takes them back to the apartment while Gary goes to a second hour-long tennis lesson. And Dude. at 6.30, Jerry asked David Payne, one of the people that's on the trip with them, to check on Kate and the kids at the apartment. And at 7 p.m., Jerry returned to the apartment and the kids were put to bed in the front bedroom of the apartment, which overlooked the parking lot and beyond it, the street. Mm-hmm. So Madeline was put to bed in a single bed that was closest to the door. She was wearing a short-sleeved pink and white Marks and Spencer Eeyore pajamas. Um, And next to her were her blankie, her comfort blanket, whatever you want to call it, and her favorite toy, Cuddle Cat, which was just a soft little cat stuffed animal. Yes. Speaking of Cuddle Cats, Felix, that's enough. He's, He's... If anybody remembers... That episode of SNL or the multiple the sketches on SNL with the Californians where at the end they all like look in the mirror at the camera. That's what he's doing to me right now. Except Good. it's it's oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Just ignore him. I'm Sorry. trying. I'm trying my best. So there was an empty bed against the opposite wall under the window. Mm-hmm. And between Madeline's bed and this empty bed were two travel cots, which is where the McCann's put their kids, their twins, to sleep. Mm -hmm. At 7.30 p.m., the McCann's showered and changed and shared a bottle of wine at 8 p.m. before they went to go get dinner. And at 8.30 p.m., they made sure the shutters outside the kids' bedroom were down and that the window was closed before leaving to go have dinner at a tapas bar 160 feet away from the apartment with the other adults on the trip, who were later called the Tapa 7 by the media. (laughs) God. Because you gotta. I guess, sure. Why not? Um, Like, we gotta give a name to everything. Uh Uh-huh. So, throughout the evening, the adults would leave at regular intervals to check on their kids about every half hour. Mm Mm-hmm. So, a member of the group, Matthew Oldfield, shortly followed Jerry McCann, but by Jerry McCann, left at around 9 p.m. They both went to check on their kids. And when Jerry reached the apartment at about 9.05, he entered through the unlocked patio doors to check on the kids. And Mm -hmm. earlier that week, the McCanns had used a key to go in through the front door. But because it was next to the kids' bedroom, they were worried that the noise might wake them up. So they started using the patio doors, which were accessible via a public street through a gate onto the patio. Mm -hmm. And they would leave them unlocked because it could only be locked from the inside. Uh... You know what? I would yeah. risk. I would risk the uh, waking the kids up. Or you know what? You have a lot of money. Why don't you get like a baby cam? Yeah. Or set I don't it know, up. a nanny. Yeah, yeah. You have so much money. <laughs> get a nanny. Like, 
I don't know. I don't have kids, we'll, but we'll like, talk about it. There, there's a lot of criticism. I with know. This, with that. I know. I've, I've, I've heard. But yeah, go on. Um, but so Jerry saw that the kids' bedroom door, which was always left at about a five degree angle, was open to a forty five degree angle. So what was open a crack was now like almost Mostly halfway open. open. Yeah. yeah. So confused, he glanced at his own bedroom to see if Madeline had gone gotten into her parents' bed but saw that all three of the kids were fast asleep where they were left. So he put the door back to a five degree angle and went to the bathroom and returned to the restaurant, but stopped to chat with a fellow guest named Jeremy Wilkins. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. Oldfield was also checking in on his kids. And then he went to go check in on um, the kids in the McCann apartment at about nine 30. Kate went to go get up and check her kids, but he was like, Oh, I'm going to go check mine anyway. I'll check yours too. So, Half an hour later, Oldfield checks on them, and in their apartment, he noticed that the kids' bedroom door was open again, but that didn't mean anything to him. He didn't know. So he just saw that everything was okay, glanced inside the room, saw that the kids were in the twins were in their cot, but he later admitted that he did not directly see Madeline's bed from the angle at which he stood and could not say for sure whether or not she had been there or if the window and the shutter had been open when he went in there. So, you're going to check on the kids, and you checked on two-thirds of them. That's, but, that's my but, one criticism. It's like, this was your whole thing. You were supposed to check on the children, make sure that they were all safe in their beds, everything was good. Make sure that all of them are there, and not just some of them. Be like, yeah, I can kind of see everyone, everything looks all right. Yeah, but again, like, they're on vacation, everything's relaxed. Like, I'm not justifying it, but I can't understand. You can never be also, overly relaxed. Yeah. It's you can dad. never be overly relaxed with your children. Also, it wasn't his children, correct? Yeah. It was yeah, the other no. guy. It, yeah. was, it was Jerry's children. Matt Oldfield was just another person on Yeah, so no one's, no one's going to be as uh, vigilant with your children as you oh, are. Oh, God, no. Yeah. So... At 9.15, Tanner left the table to check on her own kids, and at that time, she saw a man carrying a little girl in pink pajamas near the McCann's apartment. She also saw McCann and Wilkins chatting, and at 10 p.m., an Irish family called the Smiths were returning from a night out and saw a man carrying a blonde-haired child who looked, the child looked to be about three or four years old and was maybe wearing pajamas. Okay. They described this man, who's different from the man that Tanner saw, as a white male around in his 30s. He was medium build, medium height, with short brown hair. So this man walked down the street towards the beach, which was a few minutes walk from the McCann's apartment, because rich. And at that time, Kate McCann returned to check on the kids and became alarmed when she reached the bedroom door of the kids' room and it blew shut. Inside the room, the window was wide open, the shutter was up, and the twins were in their cots, but Madeline's bed was empty. Mm -hmm. So, a waiter working at the Ocean Club, who asked to be anonymous, later recalled that a huge scene erupted when Kate returned to the table. She went back to the table, said Maddie wasn't in the apartment. He says, quote, it was chaos. People were running around the resort shouting for Madeline, and we all started to help looking for her. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like it. Shortly after 10 p.m., 
Rachel Oldfield rushed to Tanner's apartment to tell her Madeline had been taken, mm-hmm. at which point Tanner said, oh, my God, I saw a man carrying a girl. Mm-hmm. So this would later confuse the Portuguese police because neither McCann nor Wilkins, they were in the same street uh-huh. as Tanner was and the man that she saw. And neither, but neither of, them, of them. Yeah. What? Neither, neither of them remembered seeing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> neither of them saw somebody, but also they were talking to each other. They weren't. Re- they weren't really looking for somebody. Yes, but they also didn't remember seeing Tanner. But so he was also on that street. She. She. Sorry. Yes, Jane Tanner. Yeah. Um, she was on that street at the same time as them. She saw them. They don't remember seeing her. So. She also sees this mystery man, but given how narrow the street was, this led the police to accuse Tanner of having invented the whole thing. Hmm. Okay. So at 10 p.m., we'll get into that. The The Portuguese police are a piece of work. Uh-huh. So at 10.15 p.m., Matthew Oldfield went down to the 24-hour reception area at the bottom of the hill to tell them that Madeline was missing and to, like, send out the, the alert. So the police were called, and at 10.30 p.m., the local police were the first to arrive on the scene. And at 11.10 p.m., detectives from the Policia Judiciaria, which is PJ for short, and it's often referred to as the PJ, so we're going to refer to it as the PJ. Mm -hmm. They arrived, and they were contacted by police constables and showed up. Like, you know. So a latch lock was found on the sliding glass window, and the McCanns thought but could not be sure that they had locked it at the start of their, um, their vacation. Mm -hmm. But it was later discovered that it was common for the cleaners to open the shutters and the windows to give the rooms an airing out every day. Mm -hmm. So there's no way of knowing whether or not the window was locked that night. Because if they assumed that, like, the window had been locked the entire time, the the maintenance people could have easily just changed that. Yeah, I would not want a maintenance person to leave all of my windows open and everything. They didn't leave them open, though. They just left it unlocked. So they didn't know. They would open it, air it out, and then shut it. But they wouldn't guess, lock it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would prefer if everything was locked when you left. I mean, yeah. But at the same time, it's a vacation area, and it's like a small little town, so it's not like anybody's expecting anything. Yeah. I th- I feel like that's mostly how these crimes begin. It's like, oh, no, oh, one, yeah. ever, no one ever expected it. But, like, I don't know. Anywhere I... Anywhere I am, I would rather it just be right. locked. Same. <laughs> if, if something I care about is inside, I want it to be locked. Yeah. But at around 4 a.m. on May 4th, 2007, Pierre's birthday, the physical search for Madeline was called off, according to witnesses, and the detectives from the PJ left. Mm. Later that morning, Jerry and Kate, who were holding Madeline's cuddle cat, made a public plea for her return. And Jerry said, quote, words cannot describe the anguish and despair that we are feeling as the parents of our beautiful daughter, Madeline. We request that anyone who may have information relating to Madeline's disappearance, no matter how trivial, contact the Portuguese police and help us get her back safely. Please, if you have Madeline, let her come home to her mummy, daddy, brother and sister. Mm. End quote. So the next day on May 5th. Portuguese police said that they believed Madeline was abducted, but was still alive and in the country. On May 14th, Robert Murat, a British expat who had Portuguese 
ancestry mm-hmm. was taken in for questioning with police declaring him to be an arguido, which is a suspect. So okay. he received this arguido status after a Sunday Mirror journalist told the police that Morat had been asking a lot of questions about the case. But the PJ had previously hired him as an official interpreter, and he said that he wanted to help because he had a daughter in England who was around Madeline's age, Mm -hmm. and he was adamant that he was innocent. But the PJ was like, too bad, you're a suspect. Um, So, however, Murat was like, I didn't do it. Like, he he felt that he was being framed, but... Fiona and Payne. They were like wasting their time looking yes, his way yes, when yeah. Yes. Um Fiona Payne, Russell O'Brien, and Rachel Oldfield, as well as an Ocean Club nanny and two other British vacationers, all said that they had seen Murat outside the McCann's apartment shortly after Madeline's disappearance. And okay. the top of seven, as we should call them, I guess. <laughs> I hate um, that so they much. all were like they all thought he did it. Okay. Um However, it just needs someone to blame is what I'm fearing. Yes. And it wouldn't be surprising that Murat was nearby the apartment because he lived with his mother, Jenny, 150 yards away from apartment 5A. Yeah. But he and his mom said that they had been home all evening. Okay. So beginning on May 15th, Murat's home was searched, the pool was drained, his cars, computers, phones, videotapes, all of them were examined. The garden was searched using ground radar and sniffing dogs, and two of his associates were questioned. Wow. On May 30th, Kate and Jerry traveled to Rome to speak with Pope Benedict XVI, TBT, Mm -hmm. and it was the first of a series of trips that they made around Europe and the world to help with the search for Madeline. Mm Mm-hmm. In statements to the PJ, witnesses described men behaving oddly near apartment 5A in the days leading up to the disappearance and on the day itself. On April 20th, 400 yards from apartment 5A, a disheveled, pushy, and intimidating man asked a tourist in her apartment for money for an orphanage. And then on April 25th or 26th, the tourist who rented 5A before the McCann's encountered a polite and clean-shaven man on his balcony who had entered via the steps from the street and asked for money for an orphanage. So this dude literally, so there's a gate and then you go up the steps and then it's the balcony. He had gone from the street through the gate, up the steps onto the balcony and was like, Oh, hello. My name is elder price. Could you please give me money for an orphanage? Yeah. There's a reason there's a fucking gate there (laughs) (laughs) to make sure this exact situation doesn't happen. So maybe lock the fucking gate not even that like who the fuck because it was like a low gate so he also could have climbed over it but like what the fuck's the the point of the gate also but it's like it's an unspoken thing you keep the fuck out like i know that i would never just go in someone's gate yeah backyard gate normal people i know Uh, mm, somewhat um so then on April 29th and again on May 2nd, an ugly blonde-haired man was seen, and this is from the witness account, I don't know whether he was ugly or not, so please do not come for me. Um, he And I'm talking to the man himself. You may yes. or may not be ugly. I don't know. People say you're ugly. Um, he was seen crossing the road behind 5A and appeared to be watching the apartment. 
Mm-hmm. And on April 30th, the granddaughter of 5A's former tenant saw a blonde-haired man leaning against a wall behind the apartments and saw him again on May 2nd near the tapas restaurant looking at 5A. And that woman described him as a Caucasian man in his mid-30s with short-cropped hair. He also was described as being ugly. He had spots okay. all over his face. <laughs> but uh, everybody's like, how would Everyone's you describe ugly. this man? Everyone's like, ugly. <laughs> So, All right. Well, um, so then on the day of Madeline's disappearance, there were four charity collections by two men in the streets around 5A. At 4 p.m., two black haired men approached a British homeowner looking for money for a hostel or a hospice. And at 5 p.m., two men approached another British tourist with a similar story. Also on the day of Madeline's disappearance or on the day before, like the witness couldn't remember. A man was spotted staring at the McCann's apartment block where a white van was parked. And in the late afternoon of May 3rd, the day that Madeline disappeared, a girl on the balcony of the apartment immediately above 5A saw a man leave through the gate below as though from the ground apartment, ground floor apartment, and look around before shutting the gate quietly with both hands. At 2.30 p.m., two blonde-haired men were seen on the balcony of 5C, an empty apartment two doors down from 5A. And at around 4 or 5 p.m., a blonde-haired man was seen near 5A. And at 6 p.m., the same time or another, the same guy or another blonde-haired man was seen in the stairwell of the McCann's block. Michael, what? (sighs) Michael just scared the shit out of me. He opened the door (laughs) and I didn't know that he was there and oh god we're talking about creepy stuff michael you can't do that yeah we're talking Haley just said we're talking about creepy stuff like you can't do like literally i was like holy shit it's the ugly blonde man he's coming to get me no. wow thanks <laughs> no, no 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 that's not what i meant <laughs> he's not listening to the story you remember he doesn't know what you're talking about i realize that now oh god we are live um where was I? Oh, God. Just various blonde men are lurking around this one apartment, and everybody sees it, apparently. Yes, everybody is seeing this. So then at 11 p.m. or so, so after the disappearance of Madeline, two blonde-haired men were seen in a nearby street speaking in raised voices, and when they realized they had been noticed, they reportedly lowered their voices and quickly walked away. Creepy? Yes. So... Besides this, tips soon came in about potential Maddie sightings in other resorts, in supermarkets in central Portugal, at gypsy camps, a gas station in Lagos, Nigeria, like literally everywhere. Wow. All over the world. Um, so tips soon came in about these sightings, but just Elliot, take all of that out. Um, so up until 2713. Okay. So the story became an international phenomenon and a fixture in the international news. People were comparing it to the coverage of when Princess Diana died. Like, yeah, it was huge. John Mulaney's parents were bursting into his bedroom, showing him the front page. And he's like, I swear the TV's still warm. Like, it's it's a huge deal. So one tourist in June 2007 said that they saw Madeline in Morocco. Another said that they saw her in Malta. Um, one of those tourists actually said that it was a little British girl being carried by a strange man, and she was asking, can I see mummy soon? Mm-hmm. So, like, somewhat credible 
leads considering, but like nobody really knew for sure. But these global sightings would continue for years. Damn. So, yeah. Um, but it was on June 6th, 2007, that a German journalist asked them during a Berlin press conference, the McCanns being them, mm-hmm. whether they were involved in the disappearance of Madeline, mm-hmm. which was the first sign that the press was starting to turn against them. 17, that remember we talked about, um, like, why would you leave your doors unlocked, all that other stuff? Yeah. 17,000 people signed an online petition that was published less than a week after the Berlin press conference asking the Leicester Social Services people to investigate how the kids came to be left unattended. Because they were on vacation. That's yeah, pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and you don't care so much when you're on vacation. Yeah. So Kate McCann's appearance and demeanor were widely discussed with much of the commentary coming from other women because we got to knock each other down, apparently. Yeah, Um, everyone's got to be top mom. Yep. Kate was deemed cold and controlled, too attractive, too thin, too well-dressed, too intense. She had apparently been advised by abduction experts not to cry on camera because the kidnapper might enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And this led to more criticism. The Portuguese tabloid Cujayo de Mania cited sources complaining that she had not, quote, shed a single tear, end quote. Um, furthermore, journalism professor Nika Lagach argued that Kate had joined a long list of mothers deemed killers because of unacceptable maternal behavior in the eyes of the media. See, here's another thing that I just thought of. She's a doctor, right? Yes. She and her husband. They're wealthy, they're attractive, they're successful, they're intelligent. Yeah, so doctors, that profession, you are supposed to be more poised and put together and oh yeah, uh, not cry. And you have to deal with such difficult situations. She's probably good at making herself not cry, even in yeah. a situation like this. Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't like just that, too. Like the fact people had a problem with the fact that they hired a PR firm like quickly after Madeline disappeared. But at yeah. the same time... I can understand that because of exactly what you're saying and what we were just saying in the notes. Like she wanted to be sure she was acting correctly for yeah the killer, not the killer, but for the kidnapper or whoever to bring her fucking kid home. Yeah. They want to make sure that they have all of their bases covered when yes. they're trying to get their kid back. Yes. So then on June 30th, 2007, a 3,000 word article entitled The Madeline Case, A Pact of Silence, appeared in Seoul, a Portuguese weekly, and said that the McCanns were suspects. It allegedly, or it highlighted alleged inconsistencies between their statements and implied that Tanner's sighting of that mystery man that the Portuguese police were confused by was made up. Mm Mm-hmm. Reporters also obtained the Tapa 7's phone numbers, like their cell phone numbers. Oh. And also the cell phone number of another witness. So it was pretty apparent that the investigation had a leak. Yeah. We'll get to that. Because mama ain't pleased. Oh, just wait. This and later articles in the Portuguese press invariably were followed up on in the UK. Um... They made several allegations that were based on zero evidence that would engulf the McCanns for years in the media and on social media. Twitter was a year old, TBT, when Madeline McCann went missing. Mm -hmm. And this was 
widely covered on Twitter. The hashtags are still active today. Wow. People were criticizing all the fuck over the place. There were trolls that were like coming from the McCanns, accusing them of murdering their daughter. One girl was like viciously bullying and trolling the McCanns. And when the police came to tell her to stop, they found that she had killed herself. Oh, like Jesus, because because she was being that bad. But like this effectively launched Twitter internationally because that's what everybody was using for information for sharing their opinions, for getting the coverage, like I feel all of like it. I feel like uh, if this if um, Twitter had been active when the John Bonet Ramsey case had happened, it would have oh, similar effects. It. Yeah, they no, solved it. <laughs> it would it would just have similar effects that like every yeah. single person is getting criticized at every then single everybody moment. Would know that Burke did it. Well, we'll talk <laughs> about that when we when we do a an episode on that. Right, which is coming. Um, Eventually. Yes. But yeah, so allegations included that the McCanns and the top of seven were swingers. The McCanns had been sedating their kids. The group had informed a had formed a pact of silence regarding what had happened the night of the disappearance. Like the list goes on. Yeah. Like lots of conspiracy theories. Um, A lot of people were like making a lot out of the apparent inconsistencies within and between the McCann statements and the top of seven statements uh-huh. and the police to shed some light on this had asked the group questions in Portuguese and an interpreter translated the questions to the McCann's and their friends. Uh-huh. And then the interpreter translated their English responses back to Portuguese okay. for the police. Then, according to Kate, McC- Kate McMahon, Jesus Christ, that's a girl <laughs> I went to high school with, for the record. Um, according to Kate McCann, the statements were then typed up in Portuguese and then verbally translated back into English for the interviewees to sign. Okay. So there's a lot of room for error there. Yeah, there is, definitely. Um, among the inconsistencies, though, with these testimonies was whether the McCanns had entered the apartment by the front door or the back door when checking on the kids, because mm-hmm. according to the PJ case file, Jerry stated in his first interview on May 4th, 2007, that the couple entered through the locked front door of 5A, for or that he had entered at 9.05 and she had entered at 10 p.m. Okay. Um, but then in the second interview on May 10th, he said he entered through the, locked pat- the unlocked patio doors in the back. Yeah. There was also an inconsistency about whether the front door had been locked, and Jerry told the Sunday Times in December 2007 that they had used the front door earlier in the week, but it was next to the kid's bedroom and went through that whole spiel again and that they were using the patio doors. Like, yes, he misspoke, but they were using the patio doors. Okay. So the PJ also questioned why when Kate discovered Madeline was missing, she ran the 160 feet down to the restaurant and therefore left the twins alone in 5A. Yeah, exactly. When she could have used her cell phone, shouted from the balcony, like, made a ruckus, done all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. Like, they were going to cause a scene regardless because the child is missing, so why not yell from the balcony? Yes. Yeah. Um, Another issue was whether the exterior shutter over Madeline's bedroom window could be opened from the outside. And Mm -hmm. according to a journalist named Danny Collins, the shutter was made of metal slats on a roller blind that was in a box at the top of the inside window and was controlled by pulling on a strap. Mm -hmm. And once rolled down, the slats locked into place outside of the window and could only be raised by using the strap on the inside. 
So okay. kind of like what stores and malls will use to lock up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kate said that the shutter and the window were closed when Madeline was put to bed, but they were open when she discovered they were, that she was missing. Uh-huh. And Jerry told the PJ that when he was first made aware of Madeline's disappearance, he had lowered the shutter, then went outside, discovered that it could be raised only from the outside. Okay. However, the police argued that the shutter could not be raised from the outside without being forced, but there was no sign of forced entry. They okay. also said that forcing the shutter would have caused a lot of noise. Yeah. So the apparent discrepancies contributed to the view of the PJ that there had been no abduction. Uh, Kate's shout of they've taken her was also viewed with suspicion as though she'd been paving the way for an abduction story. Uh-huh. So, like, instead of saying Maddie's missing, just Yeah, that would have been the first thing out of my mouth rather yeah. than immediately saying somebody took her. Yeah. So, particularly from August on, these suspicions developed into a theory that Madeline had died in apartment 5A as a result of an accident, possibly mm-hmm. after being sedated to help her stay asleep, and that her parents had hidden the body for a month before retrieving her, driving to an unknown place in a car they had hired over the three weeks after her disappearance, uh-huh. and then dropping her off somewhere. Oh. So later on, Carlos Anjus, the former head of the police de- detectives union in Portugal, would tell BBC Panorama in 2010 that most Portuguese investigators still believed Madeline died as a result of an accident in the apartment and that her parents were covering it up. Hmm. Okay. This will be key later. Mm-hmm. On June 28, 2007, the McCanns suggested to the PJ that the police request help from a man named Danny Krugel, Krugel, who was a South African former police officer who developed a, quote, matter orientation system, end quote, which okay. was a handheld device that he claimed could locate missing people using DNA and satellites. Sounds fake, but Sure. Yep, on hearing about it years later, one scientist said that it caused his, quote, BS detector to go off the scale, end quote. (laughs) Good. And I was like, same. Um, So Kate McCann even wrote in 2011 that Krugel's claims made zero sense, but that they were desperate. Um, So then in the second week of June, they sent him hair and eyelash samples from Madeline collected from the family home by relatives. And Krugel arrived in Praia de Luz on July 15th and told the McCanns that his equipment had picked up a, quote, static signal in an area of the beach near Roshanegger Cliff. Mm-hmm. So Krugel's running around with his little tinfoil hat and the officer in charge of the PJ investigation, Inspector Gonzalo Amaral, interpreted Kate's support of Krugel as being like a lie and a cover up and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. At this point, he fully believed that the McCanns were involved in the disappearance and that Kate was using Krugel. Um, he also was like, she even wanted to use psychics. But at the same time, I can understand a parent being like, I will try anything and everything to find this kid. Yeah. Um, but so he said that she was using him to, quote, disclose the location of her bo- daughter's body, end quote, without compromising herself. Mm hmm. So then, with this in mind, the PJ sent a formal letter of request to British law enforcement asking for assistance in the search of Madeline's body. 
And in response, Mark Harrison, the National Search Advisor for the British National Policing Improvement Agency, arrived in Praia de Luz in July. Walked Mm -hmm. around, he searched the areas, he flew over them by helicopter, and in his report on July 23rd, 2007, he described Krugel's ideas as, shockingly, quote, highly unlikely, end quote. And he said that 100 officers had searched up to 9.3 miles around Praia de Luz, but that the officer in charge and most of the team had zero training in search procedures. Um, The exception was a search and rescue team from Lisbon. But, like, none of them were equipped to deal with this. Great. Perfect. Yeah. So search dogs had been used, but after five days instead of within two days, as the handlers were recommending... So Mm -hmm. plenty of time for key evidence to go away. Yeah. And Harrison suggested searching the beach and the shoreline, as well as an open area near the village, the Marat property, apartment 5A, the top of Seven's apartments, and any hired vehicles. Okay. He also recommended using ground-penetrating radar and bringing in two Springer Spaniel sniffer dogs, whose names are Keela and Eddie, and they are from South Yorkshire. Very cute. And I love them. And Keela was a CSI dog trained to give her handler Martin Gribe a, quote, passive alert to the scent of human blood by placing her nose close to the spot and then freezing in that position like an angel. Mm-hmm. And then Eddie was a cadaver dog, which is also known as an enhanced victim recovery dog or EVRD. And he would give a bark alert to the scent of human cadavers, including shortly after the death of the subject, even if the remains were buried, incarcerated or incinerated, excuse me. Or in water. Okay. What a smart boy. Did you watch the new series on Netflix called Exhibit A? No. It's a, real quick, it's a series where they talk about um, evidence, uh, how they get evidence, like fingerprint evidence, uh, sniffer dogs, different types of things. Each episode is a different one. And how it started and how it's not really uh, reliable anymore and it it really does cast doubt on it they like the episode that they have on sniffer dogs is very interesting where there there's like so much of a margin of error that it's like is it kind of worth it to use them so it is i mean people are still using sniffer dogs for different things and obviously in um tragic situations like um looking for people after 9-11 and stuff yeah, they have yeah, proven yeah, yeah. to find people, but like sometimes they can uh, give you like a, a false positive. I mean, there's just so much margin for error that I don't think you could convict someone purely on sniffer dog evidence. Okay. On behalf but, of um, Keela and Eddie, I'm offended. I know. But the dogs are, okay. they're just trying dogs to do their with jobs. jobs. But dogs with jobs. It's yes, just I'm not it's, trying to take their jobs ugh. away. But I'm not I'm not saying that that's the number one thing that should be used as evidence. I mean, like, I I understand that's fair, but also I love dogs. I do, too. But go watch Exhibit A. It's really good. Okay. So. Go on. Yes. So the dogs arrived in Praia de Luz on July 31st, 2007, and were taken to the apartment a nearby wasteland and the beach. And both of them alerted behind the sofa in the living room of 5A, and Eddie gave an alert near the closet in the main bedroom. There were no alerts on the beach, 
none on the wasteland, and the PJ obtained search warrants to search the house that the McCanns had rented on Rua das Flores and the Silver Renault Scenic, um, mm-hmm. Scenic, excuse me, the Renault Scenic, and that that was the car that they had used for 24 days after Madeline went missing. Okay. So the house and the grounds were searched on August 2nd, and the only alert was from Eddie when he encountered Cuddle Cat, which was lying in the living room. Keela mm. did not give an alert. Okay. And remember that. Yeah. Um, so the police, like, really, though, remember that. The police left blocks, left boxes. They left boxes of the McCann's clothes, Cuddle Cat, a notepad, a pair of latex gloves, suitcases two diaries they um this included one that kate started after madeline disappeared Mm -hmm. and a friend's bible that kate had borrowed and a passage that the bible's owner had marked was from to samuel about the death of a child and it was copied into the police case file along with a portuguese translation Mm -hmm. these items were taken to another location where eddie alerted to one of the boxes of clothes but a source close to the McCann's lawyers told reporters that if there was indeed a smell of dead body on Kate's clothes, it very easily could have been caused by her contact with corpses as a family doctor. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. So the police removed the silver Renault Scenic. Scenic? God damn it. I know how to pronounce it. I just panic because it's spelt like scenic. And the McCann, they removed it, That the, the one that the McCann's had hired, and uh-huh. on August 6th, Keela and Eddie were taken to an underground parking lot opposite the PJ headquarters in Portamao, where 10 cars were parked, 20 to 30 feet apart, which included the McCanns and Marats. Eddie gave an alert outside the McCanns' car by the driver door, driver's mm-hmm. side door. And the next morning, Keela alerted to the rear driver's side inside the trunk and the map compartment in the driver's side door which contained the ignition key and key ring. Mm-hmm. And when the key ring was hidden underneath sand in a fire bucket, she alerted again, as she did when the bucket was moved to a different floor of the car park. Okay. On August 6, 2007, tabloids reported in the Portuguese media that Keela found traces of blood on a wall in the McCann's apartment and that Madeline had died in the apartment. All right. Which, if you remember... But, it, but remember when I said remember that? Yeah. Keela didn't find shit in that apartment. Yeah, it was the Eddie. Yeah. He found... Like, there was yeah. no blood found. Yeah. And Eddie only found it on Kate's clothes. Yeah. And on Cuddle Cat. But he yeah. also could have very well given the, like, dogs are not reliable theory, because I think they're very reliable. I love dogs. I mean, it, they can definitely be used as part of an yeah. investigation, but no, it shouldn't be like... You're arresting them the based thing. on this yes. evidence alone. But he also could have been like, Cuddle Cat is a cat. And he could have been like, oh, cat. Dead Very cat. Um, yes, yes. Um, even though he was trained not to bark at anything else. But regardless, um, a few days later, on August 11, 2007, officials acknowledged for the first time that Madeline could be dead. Hair and other fibers were collected from areas in the car and apartment 5A, where Keela and Eddie had given the alerts. Mm-hmm. And they were sent to the Forensic Science Service, or FSS, in Birmingham for DNA profiling and arrived in early August 2007, but the results were deemed too complex to provide any distinct evidence. Uh-huh. Uh, Portuguese journalists were told that the DNA evidence was a 100% match. 
Okay. By this leak. Yeah, there's also an episode of Exhibit A where they talk about DNA evidence, and you think DNA evidence is going to give you, like, yeah, it's definitely this person, but the episode that they have on it really does cast doubt on, is it even super reliable? Especially on, they found all this in the the rental car? They found most of it in the rental car, some in the, the DNA they collected from the apartment and the rental car. Yeah. Still, but it was like too, too mixed up with other stuff. Basically, yeah, was what there's they said. too many. Yeah, there's too many people that have already been there that it, anything could get mixed up. Yes, but regardless, this leak in the Portuguese in the PJ told journalists that the DNA was a 100% match. Got it. Um, which is not the case. No. And then British tabloid headlines, which included Britlab Bonshell. Car DNA is 100% Maddie's, and mm. corpse in McCann car. Oh, Jesus. Yes. And then the Daily Star reported that a, quote, clump of Maddie's hair, end quote, had been found in the car. At this point, according to the Sunday Times, the PJ had, quote, abandoned the abduction theory, end quote. Okay. And on August 8th, without waiting for the results from Birmingham, the PJ called the McCanns into a meeting in Portimao, where Guillermo Encarnasau, the PJ's regional director, and Luis Neves, the director, the coordinator of the Direcciao Central de Combate ao Banditismo in Lisbon, told them that the case was now a murder investigation. Okay. Also, this is where we're going to get into our quick aside. In 2010... And Carnesiao died of stomach cancer. And then the Daily Telegraph was able to identify him as the major source of all of those leaks in the press against the McCann's. Oh, shit. The fucking regional director of the Portuguese Judiciaria. Yeah, but like, he was probably getting so much money to leak. Yeah. Well, not, not just that. He... Like, uh, the the PJ was very prejudiced against the McCanns. They were very much like, they they yeah. were saying things and doing things in such a way that it was more to prove that their theory was correct than to actually find out what happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, regardless, both the McCanns were interrogated that day on August 8th, and the officers even suggested that Kate simply had a shitty memory. She is going through a lot. Her daughter's fucking missing. Yeah. So, <laughs> and also, you had mentioned, kind of glossed over, they drank a bottle of wine between yes. them before they went out for tapas, so... Where they drank more? Yeah, I yeah. know. So, they were drinking, and They've been they drinking. were on vacation. Yeah. And she's been through a lot, so... Of course. Yeah. Yes. But then, according to Kate, on September 5th, 2007, the PJ proposed to her that if she were to admit that Madeline had died in an accident in the apartment and that she had hidden the body, she might only serve a two-year sentence and her husband, Jerry, would not be charged and would be able to walk free. I don't think that's true. You don't think it's true that she was offered this or you don't think it's true? I don't think it's true that that's what she would have gotten. Oh, no, I don't think so either. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. Well, the police are allowed to lie to you. That is one thing I had a professor in college who was a lawyer and that was the one thing that he always said to us he was like the police are allowed to lie to you yeah take nothing that they say as truth yes um 
So, but regardless, they said to her, basically, like, if you go along with our story, you'll only get two years and your husband will walk away free. Yeah. Shitty. So obviously, Kate refused. And on September 7th, 2007, Kate and Jerry were both declared suspects in Madeline's disappearance. Their lawyers advised them not to answer any questions. The PJ told Jerry that Madison's uh, Madeline's DNA had been found in the car boot, which is the trunk, and mm-hmm. behind the sofa in 5A. Jerry responded to the questions, but Kate refused to answer the 48 questions she was asked during her 11 fucking hour interview. Ew. Yeah. Like, she's no. been through it. The media is lambasting her. The PJ is lambasting her. Her kid is fucking missing. Like, she's she's living it. Yeah. So then, after the McCanns were named suspects, their friends, the top of seven, issued a statement declaring that they had banded together to support the McCanns in what they called a pact of silence. Okay. Um, and then Rachel Oldfield said quote i was there on the night i spent time with jerry and kate during the week before may 3rd and after their emotions and their reactions were just agonizing there's just no way they were involved in anything to do with madeline's disappearance she told bbc radios four mm-hmm. Ra- radio four's um searching for madeline program which was aired in 2012 uh rachel oldfield also criticized the pj for not letting the top of seven set the record straight as the drama was unfolding Apparently, okay. they were told that they could face two years in prison for speaking to the press. All right. So the PJ is literally like Lord Cheeto talks about the fake news, the fake news media or whatever. The media in in Portugal is literally being like, like they're like puppets and the puppeteers yeah. are the PJ. Yeah. And they're just whatever the PJ tells them to publish. They're taking it as real. Uh-huh. Which like not good no that's not how you want the investigation of your child's abduction to be handled oh absolutely not like absolutely not i just i i can't even i i i can't imagine yeah that's uh garbage it is no it truly is like it's completely unnecessary and i like there's a little kid involved in this like yeah i think that's also what's heightening everything really is that that that's why a bunch of people are like oh i saw her here i saw her here i saw her here like all over the world because oh yeah it's it's a child missing so obviously the stakes are a little bit higher than if she was a grown adult yes but i think that the pj was so caught up in the glory getting it right yeah like, proving, being proving being them right guilty. yes yeah. just being right not yeah. like not that like they can't they did they refuse to have something like a theory of theirs be incorrect yeah but regardless um two days after they were declared suspects so september 9th um kate and jerry and the twins returned to england at the advice of their legal team they were allowed to do this because that's how the system works uh-huh. in portugal and the following day, Chief Inspector Tavares de Almeida of the PJ in Portimao signed a nine-page report concluding that Madeline had died in apartment 5A as a result of an accident and that the restaurant meal and apparent regular checks on the McCann children had been part of the cover-up. 
and that the top of seven had helped to intentionally mislead the police and McCann's had faked an abduction after hiding Madeline's body. Wow. That's yes. That's quite a story they've cooked up. It is, except if you remember, it's very similar to a lot of the ones that were told in the Portuguese tabloids. Yeah. Um, funny how that happens. So then an 11 page document from the information analysis brigade in Lisbon analyzed and just kind of worked through any alleged discrepancies in the McCann statements. Mm -hmm. And on September 11th, the public prosecutor, Jose Cunha de Megales Meneses, handed the 10 volume case file to Judge Pedro Miguel de Anjos Frias. And Meneses applied for the seizure of Kate's diary and Jerry's laptop. Remember the diary? Yes. No, I'm saying remember the diary. Okay, I'm not remembering. Do, just keep it in mind. The police also wanted to trace cell phone calls that the McCanns and the Top of Seven had made, and there were details in the report about the number of suitcases that the McCanns and their friends had taken back to England. Oh. Yes. So then on October 2nd. Yeah, absolutely. On October 2nd, 2007, Michael's birthday, Detective Amaral was taken off the case and transferred from Portamao to Faro after telling the British newspaper Diario de Noticias that the British police had only pursued leads helpful to the McCanns and had ignored the fact that the couple were suspects. Mm-hmm. I mean, fucking yeah, because it was bullshit. I mean, yeah, but everyone, you, like, you have to um, expect to be a suspect, like, yeah, the people who are in the, the beginning, but this yeah. is like months later. Yeah. Um, but as an example, Amaral criticized their decision to follow up on an anonymous email to Prince Charles that claimed a former Ocean Club employee had taken Madeline. The yeah. investigation was then taken over by Paulo Rubello, the deputy national director of the PJ, who expanded the investigation's team of detectives and began a case review. Mm-hmm. Later that month, Madeline's fund which was created by the McCanns 12 days after Madeline disappeared, had a ton of donors. We'll get into that. Like, mm-hmm. there was a businessman that literally funded, like, a ton of stuff, like private investigations, all kinds of stuff, and he remained anonymous up until, like, I think I think he was recently identified. Wow. But, um, yeah, like, tons of money going into this. Um, and it was also used to find potential field potential leads like anybody yeah. could reach out and be like hey i saw this mm-hmm. um so madeline's fund hired a forensic artist to create an image of the man that jane tanner saw that night and it was released on october 26 2007 mm-hmm. in april 2008 the top of seven were interviewed by the lester police in england with the pj in attendance the pj planned the following month to hold a reconstruction of the scene of the crime in praia de luz using the mccann's and the top of seven rather than actors but mm-hmm. the top of seven flat out refused to participate all right well the, yeah i mean i can't blame them yeah also pact of silence so i mean yeah but that makes you suspicious doesn't it, it? Do- it like i see here's the thing like i don't think it's suspicious just because they have made it abundantly clear that they are very insulted by the way the PJ is handling this. I didn't take yeah. it as, I took it as a fuck you, not as mm-hmm. a, whoa, we did something. But that could just be me. I um, don't know. I think you would want to do everything you could to prove your innocence. 
rather than try to give them one more thing to say, hey, this looks suspicious and guilty. But they're not saying you can't do the reconstruction. They're just saying you can hire actors. You can hire actors to portray us. Like it's like a tell. It's like a video. Yeah. They're saying you can hire actors like you don't need to use us specifically. Okay. So like it's not like they were saying, oh, we want no part of this. Don't do this. Mm hmm. But regardless, um, it was, again, like this this shitty relationship between the McGann's and the PJ was evident again that month when on the day that the couple were at the European Parliament to promote a monitoring system for missing kids, Mm -hmm. transcripts of their interviews with the PJ were leaked to Spanish television. Mm -hmm. Okay. The national director of the PJ... Alipio Ribeiro resigned not too long after the leak, and he cited media pressure from the investigation as the reason for his resignation, Mm. and he also publicly stated that the PJ had jumped the gun in naming the McKenzie suspects. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's the fucking director of the PJ. Like, I would think, like... Get your shit under control, dude. Yeah, no, but I'm saying, like, I think he would know better than anybody that they were, that they jumped the gun, that they were too hasty in saying yeah. they were suspects. Um, so by May 2008, Portuguese prosecutors were examining several charges against the McCanns, which included abduction, child abandonment, concealment of a corpse, and homicide. That's a lot. It's a lot. And they wanted to throw the book at them, whether they yeah. did it or not. So then on March 19th, 2008, Kate and Jerry accepted 550,000 pounds in libel damages, as well as a front page apology from the Express newspapers over their claim that they were responsible for Madeline's death. And the apology headline read, Kate and Jerry McCann, colon, sorry. (laughs) Okay. The news outlet led their story with the Daily Express today takes the unprecedented step of making a front page apology to Kate and Jerry McCann. We do so because we accept that a number of articles in the newspaper have been su- have suggested that the couple caused the death of their missing daughter, Madeline, and covered it up, end quote. Mm-hmm. Soon after, on July 17, 2008, Marat was awarded 600,000 pounds in libel damages from four newspapers who connected him with the disappearance. Wow. And on July 21, 2008, the Portuguese authorities lifted the arguido status of Marat and Kate and Jerry Mc- McCann and closed the case due to lack of evidence. Mm, okay. Also, I feel like I'm... Please correct me, and nobody get mad at me. I really did go to school with a Kate McMahon, and I feel like I'm constantly saying McMahon now. No, that's right. You're saying McCann. Okay. Please, please correct me, because I don't want somebody to be like, you don't even know their names? This is the one name I can pronounce, I promise you. <laughs> um, so, days after the case closed, translated excerpts from Kate McCann's diary were published by a Portuguese tabloid. The same one that, yeah, the same one that had been, that had published other things, um, Correio da Mana, um, and this was despite a Portuguese judge's ruling in June 2008 that the seizure of the diary had been a privacy violation and that any copies were to be destroyed. Yeah. So the PJ is still like, oh, the case is over, but we're going to still like fuck with you. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. On September 14, 2008, another tabloid, News of the World, published the excerpts again without permission and were now the excerpts. So they were English. The PJ translated them to Portuguese. And then the News of the World published 
excerpts that were poorly translated from Portuguese back to English. Oh, okay. Um, so like they didn't even have the originals. They were they were like re reposting. Yeah, a weird version of telephone. Yes. So the McCanns included the investigation on their own. Um, they hired a multitude of private investigation firms over the years. And on August 4th, 2008, thousands of pages of files of evidence from the Portuguese police were made public. And by thousands of pages, <laughs> I mean thousands, because it consisted of 17 case files containing 11,233 pages on CD-ROM, um, 2,550 pages of sightings, a 58-page prosecutor's report, like, just tons of stuff. And the mm -hmm. prosecutor's report concluded, quote, no element of proof whatsoever was found, which allows us to form any lucid, sensible, serious, and honest conclusion about the circumstances, end quote. Mm. Okay. On March 24th, 2009, the McCanns launched a new appeal for information on Madeline's disappearance in the region of Algarve, which is where Port Luce, or what do you call it? Where, where the resort is. Yes. I'm not good. I'm not good with words that I have not written the direct pronunciations for. Um, <laughs> and then on April 4th, 2009, Jerry helped with the filming of another reconstruction of events from the night that Madeline went missing. Okay. Later that month, on April 22nd, 2009, Jerry and Kate appeared on Oprah to discuss the case in what was their first American TV interview. And the couple said that they believed there was a, quote, very real likelihood end quote, that Madeline was still alive, and they hoped that the Winfrey interview might lead someone with some kind of information to come forward. Uh-huh. They held hands throughout the entire interview. They both wore yellow and green wristbands, which became a symbol of their campaign. Okay. And they addressed their much-criticized decision to leave the kids unsupervised in the apartment while they were eating. Mm -hmm. And Kate McCann told Winfrey, quote, I could persecute myself every day about that, and I feel awful that we weren't there at that minute, end quote. Mm-hmm. On August 6, 2009, private detectives hired by the McCanns said they were looking for a, quote, Victoria Beckham lookalike, end quote, with an Australian or New Zealand accent, who was reportedly seen in Barcelona three days before Madeline went missing. Okay. That same year, the McCanns met British Home Secretary, well, then British Home Secretary, Alan Johnson, to request a review of the case. And Johnson commissioned a scoping report from Jim Gamble, who was then the head of Child Exploitation and Online Protection Center, CEOP. Mm -hmm. And by March 2010, the Home Office had begun discussions with the Association of Chief Police Officers about setting up a British investigation. And upon the Gamble Report's delivery in May 2010, um, the report examined how several British agencies had been involved with the search for Ma Madeline, including the CEOP itself. Okay. And other agencies were the Leicester Police, the Metropolitan Police Service, the series organized the serious organized crime agency the national police improvement agency crime stoppers the home office foreign office and 10 downing street shit everyone's in on this yes well and that's the thing um the main thing that gamble criticized in his report was this lack of coordination yeah. everybody wanted to help and some he wrote had quote wanted or had wanted quote to be seen to help end quote okay which had, quote, created a sense of chaos and sense of competition, end quote. And therefore, it hampered the investigation because it caused resentment among the Portuguese police. Not to mention, 
Portuguese police are running around. Yakety Sax is playing. They're not really doing their part either. So there was just a massive lack of coordination here. Yeah, everyone wants to be the fucking hero, but nobody yes. is talking about how there's an actual child missing. Yes. So Gamble recommended renewed cooperation between the, por- the Portuguese and the British police and that all relevant information be exchanged between the two forces and that police perform an analysis of telephone calls made on the night of the disappearance and that all leads were to be pursued, including those developed by private detectives. Because yeah. before, the only one that was being pursued, at least by the British like police, was Tanner's I saw a man theory. And because yeah. the PJ thought that was bullshit uh-huh. and that she was lying. But that was really the only lead that they had besides like Marat got like let go and they were like, all right, we admit it. You didn't do anything. So yeah. there wasn't much to go on. Um, so then on March 3rd, 2010, another file was released by the Portuguese police on possible sightings. And according to a spokesperson for the McCanns, it was said to have a potential lead or it was said to have potentially led to a breakthrough in the search for Maddie. All right. And like on the anniversary that it happened, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but like close to it. But like it was May 3rd. It was May May 3rd, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I thought you meant just like we're coming up on the anniversary. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I guess you got it. Wrong M month. (laughs) Um, so then on November 10th, 2010, Kate and Jerry McCann launched an online petition aiming to force the UK and Portugal to launch a joint review of evidence in the case. Over 9,000 people signed it. It's crazy that that's something that they had to petition for and it doesn't just happen. Yep. And it didn't happen. Wow. On May 11th, 2011, the Sun's front page hosted an open letter from the McCann's in which they asked Prime Minister David Cameron to set up a new investigation. And that one, 20,000 people signed it just in a day. Yeah. Like, just the day it was it was published. Uh-huh. So then this led to a request by then-Home Secretary Theresa May, and she called the Scotland Yard, and they started their own investigation called Operation Grange the next day. And mm-hmm. it was led by Commander Simon Foy and the efforts of the team, which consisted of three detective inspectors, five detective sergeants, 19 detective constables, six civilian staff, and a partridge in a pear tree, were exhaustive. Yeah. The senior investigating officer, Detective Chief Inspector Andy Redwood, announced that he was treating the disappearance as, quote, a criminal act by a stranger, end quote, in what was most likely a planned abduction or burglary gone wrong. Mm -hmm. There had been a huge increase in local burglaries between January and May 2007 in the area, including two just on the McCann's block in the 17 days before Madeline's disappearance. And during those, the burglars entered through the windows. Okay. So there's the, oh, we're the PJ. You can't get in through the slats, blah, 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 blah. You can. Yeah. Um, A team of 37 detectives was dedicated solely to carrying out an active investigation review of all of the evidence in the case that was released by the PJ, which was 40,000 pieces of material. Wow. Yes. And within them, Redwood said that officers identified 195 historic investigation opportunities. Okay. That the PJ did not do anything about. Ugh. So then, according to The Sun, quote, by 2015, they had taken 1,338 statements, 
collected 1,027 exhibits, investigated 60 persons of interest, as well as 650 sex offenders. Oh. End quote. Yes. So the Scotland Yard Operation Grange got the fuck on it. And suddenly we're cooking with gas. Mm hmm. So later that year, in November 2011, that was the least enthusiastic mm-hmm I've ever heard, by the way. It's I'm like, just very, I'm very interested in what's coming up in the story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard this far in the story, so I'm very engrossed in it. Oh, we're going to get far. We're going to get pretty fucking far. Believe you me. Like, right. mama came to play. But anyway, later that year, in November 2011, the McCanns gave a two-hour testimony before the Levison inquiry into British press misconduct and media ethics. This was to lend their support to those arguing for tighter press regulation because of all of the shit that was being leaked. Yes. And like the British tabloids weren't being like, hmm, where did this come from? Yeah. Um, Also bless. But in their testimony, Kate McCann said that she felt violated when her diary was published without her permission. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lawton, a Daily Star reporter providing a testimony, provided a testimony and told the inquiry in March 2012 that the leaks had come directly from the Portuguese police. Um... Matt Baggett, who was the chief constable of the Leicester police, um, at, like which was the force that coordinated the British side of yeah. the case. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the cons- the chief constable when Madeline disappeared. He wasn't anymore. But um, he testified that because the Portuguese were technically in charge of the case, he made the decision not to correct the reporters. Okay. Which is bullshit. Yeah. But he said that his force's priority was to maintain a good relationship with the PJ and get some kind of view on how to find Madeline. Because he was like, if I speak out against them, then they could have like just closed us off from the case. And then it would have been more SOL because they wouldn't have had actual people being able to like locate this. Uh huh. I don't know that I buy it. But what yeah. the fuck ever. Sounds like a load of barnacles. Yes, it does. It does indeed. So then, on April 26, 2012, the Scotland Yard released an artist's rendition of what Madeline might look like as a nine-year-old girl. Later that year, on July 6, 2012, British detectives looked into a claim that Madeline's body was buried near the apartment from which she had vanished, but they were not able to find anything. Mm. Then, on May 17, 2013, the Scotland Yard revealed that they had identified more people of interest that they wanted to interview. And Mm -hmm. they believed that there was enough evidence to reopen the case, but the Portuguese police did not want to do that. Of course not, Mm. because then they're going to find out that they're fucking wrong. Yeah. So then on October 14th, 2013, the Scotland Yard released eFit images of men they wanted to trace. eFit images are like composite sketches, but like online. Um, They're more detailed. They're better. Um, So... This included the one spotted by the Smith family, that Irish family that saw the man carrying a child down to the beach. Yes. Um, They also announced that the man that Tanner described as seeing the night of Madeline's disappearance had been identified. And unfortunately, he was determined not to be connected to the case. He was just an innocent British vacationer picking up his two-year-old kid from the kids club. Mm, Okay. Uh, The family who saw, like the Smith family, um, who saw the other guy provided two eFit images of the man more than five years prior to the private investigators hired by the McCanns. Remember when Gamble's report was like, you should take all leads 
as being serious, including the ones from the private investigators. Yeah, and that's I have crazy a feeling that this that is that what he was referencing. Said. Yeah, well, I have a feeling that's what he was referencing. Yeah. Because the private investigators were given these, like, they got these EFITs done. Immediately, they handed them over to the police because they couldn't, like, agree on what to do with them. And because of Tanner's false sighting, um, the sighting made by the Smith family was viewed as being too late in the presumed timeline to be significant. So mm-hmm. they didn't bother to research it, which is why, although they gave them five years before, they were only released publicly at that time when Tanner's story had proven to be, like, true, first of all. So yeah. fuck you, PJ. But not anything to do with Madeline's disappearance. That still doesn't mean, like, you should just dismiss it. Like, you have to look Follow into it. Follow multiple leads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and wait until you hear. So... Just just, just buckle up, buttercup. So then, in October 2013, the Scotland Yard and BBC's Crime Watch staged a reconstruction, which was broadcast in the UK, the Netherlands, and Germany. During the episode, they released the efits of the men seen near 5A and the ones that were cited by the Smiths. And days after Crime Watch aired on October 24, 2013, Portugal's Attorney General decided to reopen the investigation, citing new evidence. Yeah. No fucking, fucking shit. An idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, he shouldn't. Um, <laughs> so then on January 13, 2014, British police investigated three burglars who were in the area the night that Madeline went missing. They mm-hmm. sent a letter to Portuguese police asking for help in tracking them down. And later that month, on January 29, 2014, the Scotland Yard officers flew to Portugal to meet the police there and discuss the case. Finally. Yeah, I know. But, like, cooking with gas. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Like, go Scotland Yard. It took a so, little while to heat up, but now we're, now we're, we're getting going. somewhere. We're moving. So then on March 19, 2014, the officers from Operation Grand, um, Grange, excuse me, I wrote, I wrote Grande, and I was like, that's not what it's called. <laughs> it's autocorrect. Am I right? Um, they launched a search for a man who sexually assaulted five Caucasian British girls between 2004 and 2006 in the same area from where Madeline went missing. The man spoke English with a foreign accent. His speech was slow and perhaps slurred. He had short, dark, unkempt hair, tan skin, and in the opinion of three victims, a very distinctive smell. Uh, okay. He may have worn a long-sleeved burgundy top, perhaps with a white circle on the back. And the PJ reportedly believed that the intruder in the incidents was Euclides Montero, who was a former Ocean Club employee from Cape Verde that died in 2009. On April 23rd, 2014, five new cases where an intruder abused young girls on vacation in the area were identified by detectives. Yeah, it only took you fucking how long before you got any of this information? Yeah, but also just the fact that they were like, they they didn't think that, oh, this could happen to somebody else. Yeah. So let's keep this case open. Yeah. I just, the idiocy, I tell you. So then on May 14, or May 22nd, 2014, Mark Rowley, the Metropolitan Police Assistant Commissioner, said that the investigation was entering, quote, a substantial phase of operational activity, end quote, in the coming weeks. And sure enough, Portuguese police began their search of a few areas between Praia de Luz and Lagos at the beginning of June 2014. The first area, which was situated southwest of the Ocean Club behind a water treatment plant, um, was surrounded by apartments, villas, overlooks, 
on like that looked at the sea. It was a huge area. It was the size of three soccer fields. Wow. And unfortunately, nothing of interest was found. And then the second area sectioned off by police was on the other side of the Praia de Luz, close to the main road leading out of town. Mm-hmm. A third location was also investigated across the road from the second search area. But on June 11, 2007, the police said that their searches did not yield any results. Okay. Nevertheless, we're still going. Operation Grange was ultimately scaled back in 2015, but the four remaining detectives continued to pursue a small number of investigations described in April 2017 as significant, and Mm -hmm. the investigation has continued to receive funding. The British Home Secretary... Oh, go ahead. I just said that's good. It is good, because listen to this shit. The British Home Secretary approved £150,000 in funding in November 2018 to cover until March 31st, 2019, which Mm -hmm. brought the cost of the investigation up to £11.75 million. Okay. According to the Home Secretary's website, they received a request from the MPS to extend funding through March 31st, 2020, Mm -hmm. this past June. Wow. Yes. And the request will be decided in October. But I can't imagine that they would deny it because this past May, multiple new leads were found for the case. Mm. The first lead is a more thorough investigation into that dude that um, they, they may have, like, remember they were like, oh, we're looking for a man and he was a pedophile, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's another yeah. one. He's a German pedophile named Martin Ney. He's serving okay. a life sentence in a German prison for the murder of three prepubescent boys between 1992 and 2001. Okay. And he's under investigation for the suspected murder of two other kids whose bodies have never been found and the sexual abuse of a dozen others. Wow. Real piece of shit. Yeah. So then Ney allegedly told a prison inmate in Germany something that authorities said only Madeline's kidnapper would know. Mm, okay. Didn't specify, which makes sense, but... Furthermore, he resembles the photo composite released by the Portuguese police based on the witness accounts at the time McCann disappeared. And his MO for kidnapping kids was to sneak into their rooms wearing a back balaclava, black balaclava, while the kids slept and their parents had stepped out. Okay. And he often sedated the kids to keep them, like, quiet as he took them out. Uh Uh-huh. There's that other theory that the kid was sedated. Yes. And he was working at a homeless center run by an evangelical church in the same area where Madeline disappeared at the same time she disappeared. Hmm, okay. So, that's one. And Clarence Mitchell, the McCann family spokesman, said that the police had interviewed Nay and reported, quote, It might be him, and he fits the profile. He is a known predatory pedophile, end quote. Mm. He also said, quote, there is a degree of credibility. It is nay, but we cannot speculate, end quote. All right. However, Portuguese authorities are here again, and they believe it's more likely that a second suspect they're investigating, who is allegedly an accomplice of nay, will prove to be more useful. All right. So here's the thing. We're going to get into this in a bit for the pop culture section, but. There's a Netflix documentary series that's out. Yes. A female worker who had been long retired from the Ocean Club at this point recognized a man shown in the grainy footage in the documentary back in March. 
and uh-huh. said that she had seen him with a man that she was sure was Nay. All right. She asked, like, they're keeping her name private for her own safety while the investigation goes on. Uh-huh. But she said that she had a run-in with the unnamed suspect who she says she caught stealing from the Ocean Club Resort, but he allegedly threatened her when she confronted him. So that was that. Yeah. Now the police think that the suspect may have been working with Nay as part of either a sex trafficking, as part of a sex trafficking ring that preyed on children in the area at the time. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. And a number of resort employees have given evidence over the years that they recognized both Nay and some other guy who is now believed to be the second man that this uh-huh. woman saw in and around the resort. And the second man who was still working in the area has been brought in for questioning, according to the police. But funny, they're not fucking leaking his shit to the media. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, we don't know his name. But if alive, Maddie would have turned 16 on May 12th. Oh, wow. Yes. And what's sad about this, we're we're really moving with this investigation and everything, but it's possibly too late because that's, she aged out of the type of pedophile ring that Nay ran. All right. If she was taken by Nay and this other guy or one of their associates, anything like that, they may be able to shed light on what happened to Maddie, maybe give her parents hope. Or, at the very least, the closure that they obviously deserve. Yeah. But it looks like it doesn't look good based on what pedophile rings do to people who have aged out. Yeah. I mean, crazier shit has happened. Yes, absolutely. We found people who have been gone for a lot longer. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. But, But yeah. Yeah, it's just, it really sucks. And it sucks that it's been that long. Yeah. Um... But now for the pop culture side of things, in 2011, Kate McCann wrote a book giving her personal account of Madeline's disappearance and the case proceedings, which Mm -hmm. is titled Madeline, Our Daughter's Disappearance and the Continuing Search for Her. She said of the book, this is like an excerpt, not an excerpt, but you know, like the back of the book type of thing. Yeah, yeah. The decision to to publish this book has been very difficult and taken with heavy hearts. My reason for writing it is simple, to give an account of the truth. Writing this memoir has entailed recording some very personal, intimate, and emotional aspects of our lives. Sharing these with strangers does not come easily to me, but if I hadn't done so, I would not have felt the book gave as much of a full picture as it, po- as it is possible for me to give. Mm. As with every action we have taken over the last four years, it ultimately boils down to whether what we are doing could help us find Madeline. When the answer to that question is yes, or even possibly, our family can cope with anything. What follows is an intensely personal account, and I make no apology for that. Nothing is more important to us than finding our little girl. End quote. That's so sad. I know. Oh, you want to hear sad? On Madeline's 16th birthday, her mother had put a gift in her room. The room Mm -hmm. has remained untouched since her disappearance. And they hope that when she comes home, they have gotten her a gift for every holiday, every birthday, and they're all in the room waiting for her. I know. I know. Um, I was saying to Haley before we recorded this, like, I was, like, teary all throughout this. Like, I don't know that I could have kids just because of the risk of, like, losing them the way this family has. Yeah, it's like anything that has to do with I mean, every case we've talked about is horribly tragic. Yes. But, I don't know, kids, it's just the... Extra. Yeah, it's too it's too much. So but this book, Madeline, revived public interest in the case. 
the McCanns even appeared on Good Morning America to talk about Madeline and the book. And the book is what led the petition to be featured in The Sun that Theresa May saw and then called the Scotland Yard about. Yeah. Um, because The Sun was serializing McCann's book with the Sunday Times. So they were like, oh, we'll do a little like promotion. But it ended up being a lot more fruitful than I think they were expecting. Mm-hmm. So then in 2015, on a lighter note, Kate McCann published another book, which is a Christian romance novel set in America titled Free to Love. Not much can be found on the book other than that it's on Amazon. But okay. of the four reviews, one has five stars. I forgot. This isn't a lighter note. All the rest are one star reviews. So one five star review, three one star reviews. And wow. one of the one star reviews read, this has taught me how to hide the dead body of my child very well. Also, Ooh, it God. gave me help on milking the death of my child for fame. End quote. Jesus. Yeah. But that's the whole thing, though. What the PJ leaked, what the PJ was feeding to the press and everything, it was very damaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, speaking of the PJ, after Inspector Amaral was taken off the case, I'm just realizing now, Amaral sounds a lot like Armoral. So. Yeah. And Adderall. And Adderall, yes. So after <laughs> Inspector Armoral Adderall was taken off the case, he ultimately resigned from the PJ in June 2008, which would have been good, except he mm-hmm. did it to write a book alleging that Madeline had died in an accident in the apartment and that to cover it up, the McCanns had faked an abduction. Great. He can't let this shit go. That's the that's no. the whole thing that he wrote in that in that report. Yeah. So three days after the case closed in July 2008, his book, Maddie, a Verdade da Mentira, which is translated as Maddie, the Truth of the Lie, was published in okay. Portugal. By November 2008, it had sold 180,000 copies, and by 2010, it had been translated into six languages. And a documentary based on the book was broadcast on TVI in Portugal in April 2009 and was watched by, two, by 2.2 million people. Mm. Damaging. Yeah. The McCanns began a libel action against Amaral, Amaral Adderall, and his publisher in 2009. And in 2015, they were awarded over 600,000 euros in libel damages. Um, Amaral Adderall appealed against that decision, and it was granted in 2016. A judge had issued out an injunction against further publication of the sales of the book in 2009, when the lawsuit was, like, launched. Uh-huh. The Lisbon Court of Appeals turned that ban over in 2010, saying that it violated this guy's freedom of expression, which I guess, but like bullshit. Okay. The ban was then reinstated in 2015 as part of the libel ruling against him. But then after his appeal, it was lifted in 2016. All right. So then the McCanns appealed the 2016 decision in Portugal's Supreme Court but the court ruled against them in February 2017, and in their 76-page ruling, the judges wrote that the McCanns had not, in fact, been cleared by the archiving of the criminal case in 2008. In, oh. Yes. In March 2017, the Portuguese Supreme Court rejected the McCanns' final appeal. So, again, all of those leaks, all of that, like, tabloid fodder that the, the PJ was leaking, all of that is even damaging against them today. Yeah. Like, this judge is literally like, oh, well, I mean... You weren't, like, acquitted. You were just, the case was closed. Like, fuck off. So then, 
Speaking of capitalizing on the terrorization of a little girl in the most fucked up way, an elderly British man actually started a tour company called Luz Tours that visits the main locations of the Madeleine McCann disappearance timeline, including Mm -hmm. the Tapas restaurant, which is now closed, and apartment Mm -hmm. 5A at the Ocean Club. Wow. Yeah. That's fucked up. Oh, it gets worse, because this dude wrote on the tour's website, quote, I think of this as the Lose Challenge, our version of Mission Impossible, end quote. Ew. Yeah. Agreed. Ew. But wait. We had, this, we had this for another case, too, that people were doing uh, tours of the, the popular sites, and yeah. it's icky. I don't like it's it. It's icky. It's icky. But it gets worse. There's more. Don't worry. He also said, quote, you have to come up. This is like what the um, setup is for the tour. Uh huh. You have to come up with a way in which the McCanns, for whatever reason, disposed of Madeline's body and the body was not found in searches, end quote. Because, Ew. yeah, it's fucking disrespectful. And he's treating a child's kidnapping like a goddamn give clue. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? literally get fucked and people say that the guy is obsessed um people like like, yeah like he's apparently not well but at the same time somebody stop him yeah but it gets better there's also music associated with madeline a lot of it weird is written just people wrote beautiful tribute songs about her okay but one bad apple as they say and that bad apple was a busker who wrote a wildly inappropriate song about Madeline. And he was recorded, like a video was taken of him singing it on a street in Newcastle. The video mm-hmm. gained over 300,000 views in the first couple of days that it was posted online. And here comes the lyrics. Oh, Jesus. I know where Madeline McCann is. She's in my fridge in several bits. She's in my freezer next to the frozen pizza. I made some sandwiches out of her. The Madeline Uh, McSandwiches. See, but, like, why? (laughs) And ew. And it's not even good. Yeah, that's... But it went viral, and a lot of people thought it was real fucking funny and really loved it. And a lot of... Even more people were like, this is disgusting. Yeah, no shit. But yeah, so that happened. But then, getting to stuff that's a little more... I guess a little less awful. Yeah. In March 15th of this year, as we were talking about before, Netflix released that eight-part documentary series, which is called The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. Yeah. Interviewees include Marat, Gamble, former British Home Secretary Johnson. Unfortunately, Armoral Adderall is included, as mm. well as the as the I talked about one of the businessmen who supported the McCanns financially. Yeah. His name was Brian Kennedy. He's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the McCanns' former spokesperson Justine McGinnis. Um, a former PI at an agency hired by the McCanns, Julian Pere Bañez, um, Sandra Felgueras, who was a Portuguese journalist that covered the disappearance, mm-hmm. and 
Anthony Summers and Robin Swan, who are the authors of another book about the Madeline McCann case titled Looking for Madeline, which was published in 2014. Okay. So Kate and Jerry McCann didn't appear in the city, the series. They Uh were asked to participate. They refused. Yeah. Um, In a statement on the Madeline Fund's website, Kate and Jerry explained that they believed that the documentary would only hurt their chances of finding their daughter, saying, quote, we are aware that Netflix is planning to screen a documentary in 2019 about Madeline's disappearance. The production company told us that they were making the documentary and asked us to participate. We did not see and still do not see how this program will help with the search of Madeline for Madeline, and particularly given there is an active police investigation could potentially hinder it. Consequently, our views and preferences are not reflected in the program. We will not be making any further statements or giving interviews regarding this program. So then the couple's spokesperson, Clarence Mitchell, we've mentioned it before, also stated another reason for the McCann family not wanting to support the documentary, which was, quote, what I'm seeing here is not a documentary, not something factual, but a piece of entertainment, end quote. Yeah, I started watching it and it doesn't really paint the McCanns in the best light. Yes, though the McCanns apparently I, I've seen parts of it. I uh-huh. will say that the McCanns did say that they liked that they it, like, yeah, they weren't painted in the best light, but they liked that they were not painted as being the ones that killed her. Yeah. Uh, or, I like, tried the to only watch lead rather. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like we, you said eight parts, I think it was. Yes. So it's very long. Very uh, long. I'm going to say it's probably too long. I thought it was kind of dull. Um, I don't know. I think they they just kind of go on and on for. <laughs> Do you think it would have been? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Did you think no, that it, right. it could have been better if, like, yeah, the episodes are an hour long each, so that's eight hours. Do you think yeah. it would have been better in like an hour and a half, two hour documentary? I mean, I feel like it could have been. I feel like it could have been two parts and not eight. Okay. Like they just, it goes into such extreme detail about every tiny little thing and it's just like i don't think i need all of this information because it kind of clouds like the general gist of everything yeah and it's just it's it's kind of too much i'm like i'm not the one uh investigating this like you don't need to tell me all of this information (laughs) yeah but i mean that's a very good point because i will say that while researching this episode there was tons of information like there is stuff that I had to leave out just because, like, I didn't have the time. I didn't have, like, the resources to, like, like, we needed to keep it to a minimum. And it's already, we're already, like, well over our usual time. Yeah, but, this like, is, like, an hour 40. Yeah, and, and this is just eliminating other theories. Like, there's theories about pedophile rings. There's yeah. theories that somebody working in the hotel, that it was an inside job, and they saw that a huge block of rooms had been reserved for this huge family or group of families with all these kids and that it was just like a free for all, like a, like a smorgasbord of children. Yeah. But like, yeah, there's, there really is. There's a ton of information. I feel like that's with every case we kind of cover though, because there's so much information that we could say. It's just like, we're going to give you the gist of everything and how it affected the pop culture side of it and then yeah. if you are really interested in this one case do you can do dive. your own research and there's a thousand other podcasts that cover 
all of these topics that we there talk about. Is. So there's actually a podcast that came out around the same time as the Netflix docuseries called Madeline, and it's I believe an Australian podcast, and they okay. only cover Madeline McCann and her case. Yeah, see, I think the I think it didn't need to be an eight hour documentary. It could be a podcast series. Like I don't Yeah. I didn't need that much of a documentary. It was That's fair. it was just too too much. That's fair. Yeah. But as we said before, though, this is getting long, but I'm going to wrap things up fast. Um, as I alluded to before, Madeline's fund is still running. Donations have included 250,000 pounds from the News of the World, 250,000 pounds from Sir Philip Green, $50,000 from Simon Cowell, $25,000 from Colleen Rooney. J.K. Rowling and Richard Branson also made very large donations. Branson yeah. actually donated a hundred thousand pounds to a legal fund for the McCanns. I mean, it's. I'm sorry, but it's like missing little white girl. Yeah. So. No, it's. True. I mean, they should have all of the uh, the funds available to help search for her, but there's also a lot of other yeah missing children that don't get this kind of financial aid. Throwback to found. our throwback to our Highway of Tears episode. Yeah. Look at all of those little but not white children adults yeah. women that are missing and the mccanns um, are doctors so it's not like they're yeah and they're attractive like we had said before they're it's like a movie in terms of like they're the perfect characters for this drama yeah like um, i'm i i hope she's found one day but also yes. like there's so many other children there's that a lot don't of get stories this kind like of, this yeah they don't get this media attention they don't get the financial aid that this one specific case is getting and like yeah still sad oh it's extremely sad yeah. um there was actually maybe we'll do an episode on it there was a copycat abduction around the same time that this was going on where a mm -hmm. woman literally hid her daughter in a like a relative's apartment basically and they locked her up and threw away the key, but they were doing it because they saw how much money the McCanns got yeah. from all of these people looking to help. And yeah, they knew where she crazy. was the entire time. And the authorities found her, and I think they, like, sent her away with, like, the equivalent of CPS. But, yeah, yeah it's fucked up. Yeah. Um, but so, Madeline's fund, despite Richard Branson's donation, did not cover the couple's legal costs from when they were suspects of the pj investigation but the fund was criticized in october 2007 because it made two of the mccann's mortgage payments before they were made suspects wow yes all right um don't know what's going on there but in december 2015 the fund stood at around seven hundred fifty thousand pounds as of 20 as february as of february 2017 it had seven directors including the mccann's um, and then just a final note, if you have any information on Madeline McCann, um, her disappearance, her whereabouts, any of it, if you want to donate to the Madeline Fund, um, you can visit www.findmadeline.com to get their mailing address and email address where you mm -hmm. can send tips, you can send donations, you can send words of encouragement. Um, you can also contact their tip line at it's a it's a UK phone number plus 
And that is the story of Madeline McCann. Yeah. And yeah, it is still an open investigation. So. Yes. And it, like, as of like this year, it's still open. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. All right. And sad. It is very sad. I don't like yeah. it when kids are missing. Same. I feel like everybody should does feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not a sociopath. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. That's it's a downer. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's now a true crime podcast. There's a lot of downers. True, but now you feel how I've been feeling like all week. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um so like we said, there's so much more information that is that we couldn't just cram into this almost two hour episode. Yeah. So Whoopsies. uh most of that information will be on the website and we'll also link a bunch of stuff on um, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. So go to the website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Okay. And um, that's where all of our links to our social media and stuff is. And if you find one of our social medias, you will find everything because the link tree is on there. Okay. Right. I don't know why I'm saying this like I don't yes. need to tell you. you yeah, know I know. This. I know. But I forget often. So I mean that's fair. Yeah. That's that. Yeah, that's it. All well, right. I mean that's not it. That's just scratching the surface. But yeah. you know. Anything else before we go? I love you. Love you. Was that to me or everybody listening? I mean it was just to you, but now I feel like I have to share it with everyone, so I guess. Okay. All right, then. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go now. I want to have dinner. I want to have dinner. I want my <laughs> enchiladas. Oh, yay. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. This has been the end of food culture. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.